balance of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. We hadn't even heard of your product. Our son called us and said, you two need to be using this. And, oh, I love it. It really seems to be helping. My energy levels are not always great, but for the last couple of months, it seems to be improving. But it was really strange because our son doesn't recommend a lot of products to us. He's not like that with us. He says, you're my parents. I'm not yours. I'm not telling you what to do. But with this one, he said, no, I think you really need to do this. (laughs) And our son was right. We need to be doing this. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code KATE. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm coming to you with one of the most important commercials that I've ever done. All of you know what my pillow and myself have gone through in the last eight months in my efforts to bring the truth forward. Well, now you can help in a couple ways. First, get everyone you know to go to my new media platform, frankspeech.com. There you'll find all the footage from my cyber symposium and many other important broadcasts. Also, I am personally doing a new daily live show to get the truth out. It's at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Secondly, I'm offering some of the best prices ever on my pillow products, but they're only available on frankspeech.com. Go to frankspeech.com now and use the promo code on your screen or call the 1-800 number below to receive these exclusive MyPillow offers. Thank you and God bless. Make sure and put the code word Kate, K-A-T-E. This will get you up to 66% savings at MyPillow.com. The code word Kate, my first name, K-A-T-E. Help support Mike, help support this show, and help support yourself in getting some amazing, amazing products. These are the best ones I've ever owned. Go to MyPillow.com, code word Kate. The Patriot Act, turning citizens into suspects since 2001. The Kate Daly Show starts now. Would forever be altered. A wave of patriotism swept across our country, and the drumbeat of war was heard from our nation's heartland to countries a half a world away. With a war on terror declared, a nation would find itself in an uphill battle that would eventually lead to the destruction of civil liberties and the establishment of a military driven to conflicts based upon political lies and fraudulent official reports. We now begin our investigation into the events of September 11th. What were you told happened that day? Hi there. Welcome. Kate Daly Show. This is part two. Um, of my interview with Rebecca Roth, the author, uh, former flight attendant and uh, in the industry for umpteen years and had serious questions uh, when she was obviously along with all of us watching things go down and wondering and the background, you know, wait a minute, things are not adding up. It was totally against protocol. What really happened? And it sent her it sent her down uh, some research roads that I think have really altered your life, haven't they, Rebecca? I mean, all the books that you put out now about 9-11, and you can't, once you read Rebecca's books, Methodical Illusion, Methodical Deception, um, all the books, her latest will be, um, is coming out, is called uh, um, uh, Methodical Agenda. You can't see it any a, a different way. After you read her books, you're like mind blown, and it answered all 
a lot of questions I had. Bravo to Rebecca Roth for putting pieces together and taking in testimony from umpteen people around the world that have filled in the blanks and have said whistleblowers that have said, hey, this is what I saw. This is what happened. This is what I'm privy to. And all those pieces mean a completely different story for 9-11. And today, as we're thinking about those three, almost 3,000 people that lost their lives and how how just how horrific that was, um, we want to get down to to investigate who really was the perpetrator behind this because the story doesn't add up. The mainstream story has never told the tale. And you you would have to be, I'm sorry, completely stupid to 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 take all those points of interest in that on the on the narrative and believe it because none of it adds up. None of it makes sense. Even the day before 9-11 announcing that 2.3 trillion went missing and they were gonna get after it, and then all of a sudden whatever hit the Pentagon hit the computer that had been moved there the day before annihilating all the evidence to the 2.3 trillion missing dollars i mean i call people there's people that are called conspiracy theorists right i get that a lot i get that label sometimes um and then there are people called coincidence theorists <laughs> you have to think everything in this life is a total coincidence and those are the people i feel sorry for but there's a lot of them walking around uh re- welcome to the show rebecca roth well thanks you I, bet. let me just let me bring this up Sure. Oh, sorry. Get your switch. That's okay. okay. There we go. Uh, One of the things that now that I've kind of uncovered all this stuff, and hopefully the people who read the books will get it, uh, because it's been a lot of research. A lot of people come forward that felt safe. I don't know why, but they did with me. Mm -hmm. But you have to ask yourself this. If there really were a Muslim terrorist on 9-11 on board the planes, which we now know for sure they were not listed on the passenger manifest. But if there were, like the government tries to tell you, uh-huh. ask yourself this, why is it 20 years later our southern border is flowing in the middle of a pandemic with 160 different countries right. bringing in COVID-19 and many other diseases, tuberculosis, mm-hmm. and measles, all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. Right. Why did they not close that border if they thought people could sneak in? If they <laughs> Good question. If, if they thought 9-11 really were hija- uh, terrorists on board, why would they not have done this? And we, they're still fighting to keep it open during a pandemic. Right. I mean, seriously. Right. But when you look at the overall picture, after 9-11, nearly immediately the Patriot Act came. And when you look at the title and the book cover for Methodical Agenda, and you see that famous uh eye of the pyramid, Mm -hmm. uh, the all-seeing eye in the pyramid, there's a teardrop hanging down from that that was added by my graphic artist. Mm -hmm. The Illuminati, the uh, things that if you'd mention now, they'll laugh at you and try Mm -hmm. to discredit you. But there's a lot of stuff that's going on that needed to happen. And it did happen like the Patriot Act and the NDAA as a result of 9-11, we started losing our freedom that day. And much like with what they're doing with COVID now, mm-hmm. uh, and pushing a vaccine that we don't know what's in it or what the long-term effects might be to multiple people, not just childbearing age, but 
older people on other medications and Mm -hmm. with maybe people that are already experienced COVID and have the antibodies. There's all kinds of things. They don't care about that. They're just pushing this. uh, The agenda today is pushing a jab into everybody, whether you need it or not, whether you're going to live through this or not. Um, it's got a 99.8% success rate of surviving it. You might be sick, you might have right. the flu, but you know, you're going to get through this, right? right. Unless they right. put you in the hospital and destroy your organs. But there's an agenda going on and it started with 9-11. And when I realized there were no Arabs, then I had to look at this like, well, then what really happened on board? And that's when I started to look at all the crew members that were called up at the last minute, all the the Mm -hmm. things they had in common, all the things they had in common, things that didn't work, things that I knew didn't work in the airline industry because I'm inside of it. Then I started to look at all the passengers and I found connections, believe it or not, to people that were CIA agents that went on to, let's just say, Boston University and maybe... uh, University of Oklahoma that were CIA, Mm -hmm. uh, retired CIA people that then went to these colleges and started recruiting. And then I found that (laughs) a bunch of people that were on the planes were, hey, I've gone to Boston University. I started finding all of these connections to all of these people that at the last minute decided they were going to take one of these doomed flights because everything happens for a reason. Yes. Yes. And there are no uh, coincidences and mm-hmm. conspiracies are not a bad thing. And it doesn't make you an idiot or a crazy person to look at things with, a, uh, to mm-hmm. peek, peek through the veil right. and find the truth. Now, here's where it gets really crazy. So I read all the books I could get on the Israeli Mossad, how they train, how they assassin people, assassinate people. And you asked me what happened to the passengers when the four planes were landed at Westover. And I have multiple eyewitnesses, including one that was a retired FBI agent mm-hmm. who saw the planes landing at Westover. So let, let me let me stop you right there, because in the Project Northwoods that we read... Um, on the air this week, um, it talked about a plane, a decoy plane and a plane. They wanted to get war in Cuba, so they wanted to come up with this false flag. So they were going to have a plane full of people land at an Air Force base. And uh-huh. when you say Westover, you might want to explain Westover. Westover was a reserve Air Force base about 80 miles east of Boston. And what I did when I found that out, because I flew out of Boston base, Mm -hmm. so I'm very familiar with how far you can get in 20 minutes. Betty Ong's phone call started uh, 18 to 20 minutes after departure from Logan Airport in Boston. Mm -hmm. Then I started to look and then I, I did the same math because the phone calls had to be made when the planes were on the ground. Yeah. Because there's there was no cell reception. I don't care what people say. It still isn't cell reception. I get it tested every weekend, right? Mm-hmm. By my friend who flies every weekend. So um, what happened was I started to look through this, and I teach how to do this, to the, go to the website, the flight manager, um, airplanemanager.com, mm-hmm. and put down uh, Washington Dulles Airport, IAD is the uh, code, to CEF, which is the code for the uh, airport at, at Westover, mm-hmm. and exactly... When the phone call started, they were on the ground. Did the same thing right. for the Flight 93 out of Newark, exactly the same and thing. And she mentioned an upstairs in the phone call. There is no upstairs in this plane. But there are upstairs in hangars. Yeah. And just for fun, you know, <laughs> your listeners, because watch the movie, because this is really going on right now, Wag the Dog. Yeah. And the the very end of that movie, 
there's a scene in a military hangar from upstairs where they're talking on phones. And that mm. explains why the flight attendants were giving conflicting information about where they were sitting. Right. Uh, and so, uh, very, very many other things. And so the, everybody was giving conflicting information. So the plane went up and then it went down. And this was a, a small Air Force base that had been cleared out of any personnel, not even a janitor on the ground. And there were people on the ground that, that saw a major carrier plane come down, probably wondering why, because they didn't land at this very, very tiny Air Force base, right? And well, it's so, not a tiny Air Force base. It, it, it surfaces the Galaxy C-5 transport, which oh, is bigger okay. than... 747. It's got a super long runway. That was one thing I had to look for. The 767 needed about a 10,000 foot runway to land. Okay. Yeah. So makes more sense. It's got a long runway. It's got long runways because it it facilitates these giant cargo planes. So the plane went down with the people, and possibly the people might have even thought that they were in a drill. Maybe. Don't. I uh, don't know about that. Yeah. A lot of people speculate that, and I actually cover that a lot in book mm-hmm. in this uh, fifth book in Methodical Agenda. Um, what? Uh, yeah. I so that's kind of covered a lot. We don't yeah. drill that way, right? Right. <laughs> so, I mean, how mad would you be if you went from Boston sure. to Los Angeles to take a cruise to Hawaii and you missed it because there, we decided to do a drill? No, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Yeah. We drill on our t- our own time. I actually explain this in the book. Uh, we get paid for flight hours for every hour or a certain number of hours we spend in training. And all of our training is done on company property, mm. not on an airplane <laughs> with live passengers so, who are trying to get from A to B. Right. So I know a lot of people thought that. I mean, I I, I questioned if somebody could have come on that said, yeah. oh, yeah, we're with the FAA and we're going to do this. And like everybody would go, no, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> because that's not what happens. Would have caused a great deal of confusion um, so as I kept digging and making, tried to figure out how did all of that work, that's kind of what lays out in, in book five. Okay. Um, but you have to ask yourself now, why, why, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Well, here's another interesting connection I found. Um, almost all of the hijackers that were in this country, most of them, like 13, 14 of them, uh, didn't come until, uh, May, June, or even July, uh, right before 9-11. Hmm. So they were, well, they weren't 14 of them weren't even here. Yeah, but uh, there were five of them that were here, and those five all connect to a woman and to a building in Florida, mm-hmm. and several others that came last minute connect to her too. They'd only been here for a month or two, but they somehow managed to get from New York to Florida to connect this one woman, and you will be blown away who she is. Ooh, and the connection. Now, there's another uh, interesting connection too to a building. Mm -hmm. Uh, in Florida that they connected to as well, as well as the language they spoke. Okay. (laughs) I found very interesting. This is getting freaky. We're going to end up going to a break in about 20 seconds. I also, as we go out, wanted to mention to people that, look, um, the PNAC agreement came out and was written in 1998 and came out um, in 2000, I think, or 99. And that was most of your government people that names you would recognize, um, Cheney, Biden, all of them. And what they were calling for was an event, um, absent some catastrophic or catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor would actually lead them into the war budget they were desiring and the wars they were desiring in the PNAC agreement. You can look it up. Be right back on the Kate Daly Show with Rebecca Roth. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. 
That uh, song is about Building 7 anyway, uh, Martin Oaks. So thanks, uh, listener, who sent that in. And uh, welcome back. I have uh, Rebecca Roth. I'm so excited to have her today because we need to we need to really cut through the cognitive dissonance in this country and wake the hell up because we're about to lose it and uh, lose our liberty. So um, the book series that she wrote, she wrote in fiction to protect, uh, and I can only imagine why, because a lot of people are having to do that. Sibel uh, Edmonds, who I've interviewed many times also, and she was one of the, um, what, Iraqi um, interpreters, she also had to write in fiction, too, just to protect herself because of all the threats. But um, uh, Rebecca is an airline, um, which was a flight attendant, and noticed all these things that were wrong, all these things with protocol that would have never happened uh, in, in a situation like what we were told to believe on 9-11. And um, I want to seek the truth because I want to support all those families that are trying to still seek the truth after 20 years who are demanding investigations. Um, So I I can't imagine somebody still believing the narrative, but now at least over 60% of our country does not believe the story they were told about 9-11. There's too many holes. Too many people have disappeared. There's just too much to to try to uh, explain away. So Rebecca, okay, uh, back here with you. So... Okay, let's go back to where we were at. I'm trying to think where we were at right now. Okay, I have. Okay, I have, I have an echo. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'm I'm trying to fix that. Go ahead. Okay, okay, I have got a it. That says, "Oh, still have an echo." Huh. Okay, that's weird. Do you now? Could be Skype a little bit. Hmm. It's a little better. Okay. Okay. So I have a note here that you'd asked me what I think happened to the passengers mm-hmm. and, and um, back to the Westover Air Force Base there. It's outside of Chicopee, Massachusetts. There are huge hangars for C-5 Galaxy transport aircraft, which are bigger than a 747. Jeez. They're huge hangars. And so you could have probably pulled both a 75 and a 767 inside one, but there's six of them. You can see it if you do Google Earth. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to see the hangars are huge. So they could have brought them into the hangars. I'm pretty sure they probably did because, you know, there's satellites going all over, right? Right. People like Edward Snowden could see satellite technology and people like, you know, Putin and stuff. So probably would have want to put him in a hangar, right? Right. So so let me let me recap for just a second. So the plane that left Boston um, went uh, about 20 minutes before the first phone call. So what we think happened might have been that they landed the plane and the calls were made from the hangar. The call, so they were in a hangar because they mentioned an upstairs. There's no upstairs this plane. So and the calls couldn't have been made up in the air for that long and stayed on that long because it was a long phone call. So they landed in this hangar. Uh, the, where everybody at the Air Force Base was told to leave a couple days prior and sent sent a while away, like 30 miles away, right? Everyone had been evacuated, and I've been contacted by people that were based there okay. or worked there as civilians. Okay. All right, go ahead. So you asked me how do, you, how do I think they killed the passengers that they didn't keep alive mm-hmm. um, or, and or crew? Um, one of the things I learned in reading this book called Gideon's Spies, it's written by Gordon Tom. Thomas, I think, is his last name. He's studied a lot, and he's worked a lot with the Israeli Mossad. And we know they were involved because he was a 9B, right? The Israeli Special Forces Forces. anti-hijacking guy. So one of the things, they they use toxic uh, nerve gas a lot. And so 
it would be very easy, just so you know, that um, if you were to, let's just say, take off the people that were part of the team that you wanted to save and were going to get on a getaway plane, which there was, um, let's just say you wanted to gas these people, you could just throw a canister of uh, nerve gas into the airplane, shut the doors, they're airtight. Mm. So um, my best guess, because that's how they, that would be the method of choice, I would think, because it'd be very quick. Then also, uh, if you'll remember, I think it was in the uh, gold book, the methodical conclusion that we uh, found three DC-9s that came into Andrews Air Force Base late that night, um, and they were medevac planes with full of bodies. Mm. And we found those uh, using the um, flight strips for uh, Andrews Air Force Base that I actually found online. They weren't part of the FOIA data, but somebody else had done a FOIA for them. So getting back, I got that answer. I'm going to take that note away now. Getting back to connections that I found Mm -hmm. and all the books that I read, I found it very odd that it's... Operation North was planned by their chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I thought, what a weird thing for him to be involved in faked hijackings. And they were doing all this to start a war, which is why they did 9-11. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On 9-11, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Hugh Shelton, was flying out of the country. As I said, I have his flight plan. I know exactly where he was. Nothing he said about that day, and he wrote a book, Mm -hmm. is true. So you have to ask yourself this, why lie? I know where I was. I could tell you where I was. I wouldn't tell you I was somewhere I wasn't, right? So why is he doing that? Well, when you look at these parallels with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and Operation Northwoods and then 9-11 being so much like Operation Northwoods, why for a war in the Middle East? Mm -hmm. Because remember, Mm -hmm. even through the government story, the 15 of the supposed hijackers that were not on board were Saudi Arabians. There were no Afghans and there were no Iraqis. And we've never gone in and had a war with any of the countries that we claim these people were actually right. the terrorists were involved with, right? So you got to look at that too, because that's kind of odd yeah. with our open border still 20 years later. Um, but I started to look then, why would this guy lie about where he was and what he did? And then I started to see all these parallels with uh, um, Operation Northwoods. You can't not look at this. It has to be looked at because there's only one reason to lie. Right. No, you're right. <laughs> you have cuts to cover up, right? So as I kept digging and reading and uh, really reading about all these people who had been involved, like uh, back to the University of Oklahoma, uh, uh, his name was uh, David Boren. He was a congressman from Oklahoma. He went on, he left politics, he went on to become the president of the University of Oklahoma. He hired in August of 2001, the CIA station chief, David Edger from Berlin, who said in his words, not mine, that he, his unit had infiltrated, had surveilled, infiltrated, and were controlling the Hamburg cell. If you remember, the terrorists behind 9-11 were the Hamburg cell. It was Mohammed Atta, Marwan al-Shihi, Ziad Jara, basically the pilots. And, and a couple of guys that were still in Germany that couldn't get here. So it's interesting then, when I, I, I see this, this is like these guys, uh, David Boren, he was like running the intelligence committee, right? And so he was really involved with intelligence. And then David Edger, he even said in his own words that he was controlling the Hamburg cell. Well, then I found another article. This is all in book five, so I'm kind of giving away some of the book. But but this is what I, I made my story on. This is real stuff. 
This was a WikiLeaks uh, document from a um, British MI6 intelligence agent to an ex-NSA guy mm-hmm. here in the United States that WikiLeaks picked up. And in that story, it tells that it was the Israeli Mossad who was controlling and infiltrated and was controlling the Hamburg cell. So we have two intelligence agencies saying that they had infiltrated or surveilling and had control of the Hamburg cell, which are the pilots from 9-11. Who they blamed. Who they blamed, which were a lot from Saudi Arabia, which why didn't we go to war in Saudi Arabia then? I mean, it makes no sense. Exactly. So I, I just find this is just fascinating. Jeez. Just so you remember, I know I know this really like I, it's like I have this stuff like I, it's my, my skin. It's like I breathe right. this. Right? right. But if you'll remember the quote, quote, 20th hijacker, Zachariah Massawi, mm-hmm. he went to college at the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> he was there from February uh, near the very end of February of 2001 until August of 2001, about uh, maybe somewhere between the 8th and the 16th of August, he went to Minneapolis-St. Paul to uh, learn to fly a 747 simulator. Mm. That's how he. That's how he got accused of being the 20th hijacker. Now, the only person they could connect him with was an Israeli, a Jewish American mm-hmm. kid named Nick Berg, and you'll remember Nick Berg was supposedly uh, beheaded. Uh, on camera yes, and they yes. sent it to the America yeah. and everybody thought it was very phony and fake. Uh-huh. So Nick Berg uh, went to Iraq and that's where he supposedly got beheaded. But on his way to Iraq, uh, right at the start of the war, he wanted to build uh, cell phone towers. Just hmm. a young kid. Okay. Uh, on his way, he stopped in Israel. Hmm. Hmm. So nothing interesting connections. And so let me yeah. just uh, very interesting. So, so here, here's the connection to Zachariah Massawi and how he connects to uh, anyone in this story is he only connects to Nick Berg, the Jewish boy. Zachariah Massawi was a Muslim. Uh, he, he was British and uh, German. I think his mom was German and his dad was Moroccan. Okay. And so he came to the University of Oklahoma, supposedly learned how to fly. And when he went to uh, Minneapolis to fly on the 747 simulator, the FBI thought it was just suspicious that he just wanted to fly in the air and, and not learn to take off or land. Uh, <laughs> so called the FBI on him. And the FBI up above them, these are just ground agents now. These would be the Jim Comey and right, actually right. it was Robert Mueller. That level, they said, no, we're not interested. We're not going to give you uh, – a a, uh, warrant to look at his laptop. Well, when they eventually found his laptop after 9-11, they still had this guy. They actually had him on an immigration charge. But when they found him and they got, uh, they opened up his uh, his computer, they found that he shared, you'll remember this from Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, that he shared a, like a Gmail account, an email account where you can go in and write a letter and, oh, I want to fix fix this later or run it through an editor or whatever, and I put it in my draft account. Well, if I have that email address and the password to get into a IMAP you know, email that's open to the right, internet, right. Um, I can sign in under your account and go into your draft accounts. And that's how Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and Andrew McCabe and all the FBI guys that were behind the coup against Donald Trump, uh-huh. that's how they communicated. Interesting. It's a, it's a way that intelligence agents, Mossad agents, do the same thing. And so the only connection they found to Zachariah Massawi and that 750, or 747 simulator flight he wanted to take was to Nick Berg, a Jewish kid from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. who was a religious Jew, 
So again, you've got this Muslims hate Jews, uh-huh. but yeah. yet, and there, this this book is full of these connections. Just... And so when the FBI sees this, they say, oh, well, there's no connection to terrorism. So we have a Jew, a uh, special agent guy on 9B on flight 11. There was a, a IDF Jewish girl on flight 175. There was a supposedly a Jewish guy supposedly killed with one of those plastic box cutters on flight right. 93. So the Mossad. So and we've worked hand in hand with the Mossad. And, and so I found them all. When we when <laughs> when we talk about on the show um, the government agencies, um, you know, I tell a lot of people this too, and I, I hope people remember this. You know. To separate people from government and government agencies and the people in the world that are do, that are that are responsible for things, you must make that separation. And right now, you're not. It's only it's only one entity, and you're not allowed to say a word about that country ever. But you can separate the government, the Mossad, from the people that are there, just like we would want to be separated from what our CIA does. And I say this over and over again, because you wouldn't believe the kind of, uh, well, I know you would, um, but the kind of, of crazy censorship and crazy weird accusations people get if they mention even a single item about a country not separating the government from the people. And it drives me batty because people cannot make that assessment. And so it's as if we're coming down on an entire religion. No, we're not. We're saying, look, at their government look at what people are capable of inside these agencies that go rogue and they have to answer they answer to nobody i'll be right back more with rebecca roth in just a moment author of uh, methodical illusion and so many wonderful books the latest is methodical agenda be right back lines are open now call 888-673-1450 this is the kate daly show I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Hi there. Welcome back, Kate Daly Show. Um, special edition of the show today. Uh, tomorrow is September 11, 20 years. And uh, and I wanted to help to break through the cognitive dissonance because this needs to be discussed in America in a very big way. You're going to see a lot of shows and a lot of movies have been made and a lot of propaganda spilled out there about what happened in a narrative. But I've invited uh, Rebecca Roth on, uh, the author of Methodical Illusion and Methodical Deception. She has a wonderful book, a, a series of five books with her latest coming out, which is Methodical Agenda. And she put so many of the pieces together that I would that were hard to piece together in my mind because you couldn't figure out what was going on because the narrative was so crazy. I couldn't even believe they wanted us to believe that story. Um, and so uh, I have a lot of questions for Rebecca in this last uh, little bit of the show. Um, but one question that came in was on the at the base where uh, where you say actually all of the planes actually landed because I think it was very clear that a missile went into Philadelphia and, and a, uh, or Pennsylvania and a missile went into the Capitol, the most photographed place on earth that only had two pictures and no plane and a big hole. So um, the planes landed at, uh, at that Air Force base you were talking about 20 miles outside of Boston and it was emptied and there were hangars there um, that would have housed uh, the size of planes and these big, huge uh, aircrafts. And so were there phone records on 
on the ground, Rebecca? Were there phone records from the Air Force Base that could be into a, a request for records? Anything like that? Well, let me just uh, f- fix what you just said. Okay. Um, Westover Air Force Base is the name of the base. It was a, um, a logistics base for the National Guard. Uh, it was uh, had been evacuated before 9/11. Mm-hmm. It is 80 miles. Oh, you 80. can find you can find it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, beer, between Spring Springfield and uh, Chicopee, Massachusetts. Right. You can see it on Google Maps. Uh, it's about 80 miles uh, west of Boston. 80 miles, 20 minutes of air on the plane. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, uh, and the uh, plane uh, that supposedly hit wasn't the Capitol, was hit the Pentagon, supposedly. But there was oh, an yeah. explosion Sorry at the Pentagon, that. because I have eyewitnesses yeah. that were standing there. But That's what I just to keep everybody straight, I don't want to be given a, yeah. a hard time. So back to the phone calls. First off, you have to remember, and I always tell my my listeners, I do a daily show with my mem- on my membership site. You have to put your feet on the ground and remember this. So swallow hard. In real, in real life, in reality, there were airline employees who printed off the real passenger list, the passenger manifest. There were no Arab passengers on board. Swallow hard. Yeah. Now, who was doing this? You're asking about phone calls from Westover. Westover had been evacuated by everybody that wasn't part of the game, that wasn't a player in the charade. Everybody that was there would have been part of the cover-up, so they would never have asked for phone records. Yeah, because this is our government that did this. Right, the right. military, the Department of Defense, the CIA, the FBI, and other foreign intelligence agencies were involved, and it's all laid out in Book Four and Five. Um, but I like I like everybody to read the whole series because as information came to me, it comes to the reader. So you have to remember this. Why would they expose, well, ask yourself yeah. this, why would they want to silence me? Why would Google, CIA, uh, want a U.S. government want to silence me over writing novels? Right. Why? why who's covering this up? Well, remember, um, off air, I told you that the first two supposed terrorists that landed here came in January of 2000. Remember the millennial bomber? Mm-hmm. He wasn't one of them. But because the millennial bomber was caught up in Washington state uh, and, and supposedly they claimed, the FBI claimed, now think about the FBI high, uh, kidnapping of Gretchen Whitner in, uh, Whitmer in uh, Michigan. Think right. about this because it's the same kind of players. The FBI had the whole country on high alert. Two weeks later, these two guys show up. They end up living with a CIA Mossad Saudi Arabian intelligence agent named Omar Barumi. He sets them up with an FBI informant. Those two go, <laughs> go on uh, to live over in, in, in uh, Virginia, and, and one goes back to Yemen, and there's uh, they have their world. Well, then we have uh, Mohammed Atta, who shows up uh, in June, and Marwan El-Shihi, both supposedly the pilots. They show up at Newark's Liberty Airport, plays a big role in this whole scene. Mm-hmm. They end up going to Oklahoma, to the University of Oklahoma, to check into a flight school. They don't decide to stay there. They go to Venice, Florida. They they decide to take uh, flying lessons from the Huffman Aviation Office that had just been, uh, school, had just been purchased by a Dutch mm-hmm. Mossad drug dealer. 
Jeez. Lee does. They get a they rent a room from a CIA pilot that was a CIA pilot in the Iran Contra scandal. You're Do you think that's a coincidence? No, I'm not a coincidence theorist. Did <laughs> tell us that? Did anybody Jeez. tell it? Did the FBI tell us that? No, I'm telling you that yeah. because that's what I found in FBI documents and their own stories, and some of them are in their own books. So you have to remember that the, the our actual government agencies, not everybody in our government's bad, not every Jew is a Mossad agent. I know. I <laughs> but, don't know why we have to keep saying that, but people are just on yeah, this ride of exactly. you cannot say let a me word. Tell you this. This, is, this is just crazy. So let me just tell you this. What woke me up? It really hit me over the head mm-hmm. was one night I was I was cooking dinner and I was listening to I think it was the Sean Hannity show on a television. I wasn't watching, um, but I heard people talking. Um, this is probably seven, eight years after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was near the anniversary time. I don't know why they were talking about it, but somebody mentioned building seven and the person in the panel, not Hannity, but somebody else called that person outrageous, out, you are an anti-Semite. And I thought to myself, well, how do you get anti-Semite out of a building that fell down? Right. I watched the building fall down live on TV that afternoon. And I'm like, how, how do you get that? Where's that coming from? And that always stuck with me. Yeah. Because I thought it was just such an odd thing to say. But if you remember everything on television, uh, Hannity even wears a CIA pin next to his FBI pin <laughs> on his on his every night on his lapel. And the guy that owned Building Seven and had just purchased insurance what in that year um, for these buildings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, a lot of that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, was Jewish, so of course they said anti-Semitism, right? And 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 so of course it gets that label and it's shut down completely, and then you can't talk about Building Seven. Well, it's uh, it's. That's part of the, it's part of the game. It's part of what they do to shut people up. It's like calling you a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. That came out from the CIA after they killed John F. Kennedy. Right, right. And I, I dove pretty deep into that too, because if you haven't seen that uh, 9-11 to JFK, every man, every, every thing's a rich man's trick, mm. that video, mm-hmm. it's uh, well worth watching. Oh, absolutely. So let me just uh, touch, uh, touch on a couple other things here. There was uh, some other things that were really odd about uh, one of the flight attendants was asked by her supervisor, she at least called her supervisor, uh, where are you? Can you tell where you are? Well, obviously, this was moments before they hit, supposedly hit the towers, right? Manhattan, New York. She goes, she looks out, she I see water, I see buildings. No, let me tell you this. A junior flight attendant that flew into New York area, there's three airports that service New York. Right. John F. Kennedy, LaGuardia, uh, and uh, Newark. Uh-huh. And Newark, the tower, the end of the runway is literally four miles across from the Twin Towers, across the river. So you would be saying, "Not I see water, I see buildings. You would say, I see Manhattan, right? Right. So I knew that. That was crazy. And she would probably in an office because she didn't know where Betty Ong said she was sitting. She didn't know what Betty was saying. There was so much conflict in all the phone calls that people were calling from the planes. They just that was another thing I laid out in this book. But on flight 175, a pilot of a Tom uh, a Tomcat, I uh, think it's called F-14 or mm-hmm. something, a pilot who's a radar intercept officer, actually, the <laughs> Somebody from his unit contacted me. He's not a pilot. He's a radar intercept. This is the the two-man plane. He sits behind the pilot. Okay, so he was sitting on the left side of the airplane. He was literally, according to the uh, 
FAA and the National Transportation Safety Board, somewhere between five and 7,000 feet. Again, you've got to be one or the other. You can't be yeah. either or, or you're going to have people crashing into each other in the sky. Sure. sure. He, told, he called his mother and he told his mother he was, well, he made a mistake. He told his mother that a bunch of pilot, a bunch of passengers and him were going to take over the cockpit. It was the let's roll story. I see. Whoops. That's from Flight 93. He'd been briefed on this whole thing, but he told his mother he thought they were over Ohio. And let me tell you this, because you can kind of fly in on uh, Google Earth, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of do this. Sure, sure. Um, you can kind of see this. There, It's a Newark airport in the Newark Bay. It's very... It, it stand out, stands out, right? He he is supposedly over Hudson River, so he's right there, looking down five to seven thousand feet elevation, under ten thousand feet. By the way, ten thousand feet is when we say, uh, please turn off your electronic devices, keep them stowed until right. you're inside the passenger terminal. Okay, that's ten thousand feet. Okay, so he he says he thinks they're over Ohio. Huh. Well, he would know that Ohio isn't uh, within forty five minutes of Boston. He's a pilot. He should know this, right? Right. He also worked for a. Um, Military Industrial Complex Corporation. Oh, and the guy that made a phone call uh, who had his wife and three-year-old daughter with him because he knew they were going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. He worked for a military industrial complex uh, corporation also as a vice president. He literally was over the Hudson River, the Statue of Liberty, and Manhattan looking out the window. And he told his dad, went on a phone call, that the hijackers who didn't speak English and weren't on board told him and his wife and daughter, that they were going to take them to Chicago. This is five to 7,000 foot elevation. This is two minutes before supposed impact. That they were going to fly the aircraft into a building in Chicago. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So he, a lot of problems with the yeah. story. One, none of the accused hijackers were on board. Two, none of those that were accused on that particular flight even spoke any so, English at all. So what? how many pilots were replaced at the last minute on 9 9- on 9-11? All of them. All of them were replaced at the last minute? Is that a a usual occurrence? It's very unusual. The whole thing is so unusual. I mean, all of the crew on Flight 77 were last-minute replacements, the entire crew. Uh, There were some of the people that were, and again, here on Flight 77, there was a couple that rarely ever flew together, but they did this day. Her her dad worked in the Pentagon in, um, you know, top, top, weaponry you know at the pentagon they actually crashed into an area right by his office um and her husband who Mm -hmm. rarely flew with her but they flew together that day uh for a reason um his uh uncle or aunt excuse me uh which was just only like his parents were very young when they got married like 15 years older than him uh was fbi okay um so, so what I did was I tried to find all these last-minute people. Like I said, it took a long time for me to figure out that right. Betty Ong was a last-minute replacement. But here's another weird thing that happened, what? if I have a second to tell you. You have a one minute. Yeah, go for it. You will never, ever hear the media in a normal plane crash, commercial plane crash, tell you why am I on board working as a flight attendant or why is uh, what was I doing there? That's, That's my true. job. It, yeah. And it's never part of the story. But one of the things that was a red flag for me was mm-hmm. that the media called all of the crew members heroes. And they had they failed. A hero would have landed the plane, would have followed FAA protocol, and mm-hmm. would have brought everybody on the ground alive. That's a hero. Yeah. Like Sully. <laughs> yeah, for exactly. sure. In that the situation. Hero. Exactly. Mm. And so I thought, well, now why would they call them heroes when they failed and they didn't follow protocol? 
There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. I just love all your research. I'm, and I know how much you do. You're a lot. We're a lot alike. Um, we research till three, four in the morning. And uh, Rebecca has these five books. When is this last book coming out called Methodical Ag- Agenda? Um, when will we be able to get could, it? it uh, Methodical Agenda could be on Kindle this weekend wow. or by Monday. I should have the approval. I think the publisher's waiting today or tomorrow. The proof copy will show up and then okay. he orders boxes of it. Okay. So then it'll be on my online store. Uh-huh. And yes. um, you ca- I have a website that's really easy to remember. It's okay. called readroth.com. Readroth.com. And, so- and they, can, they can find your show there as well? Yep, you can find, I have okay. a membership site behind the galley curtain because everybody wanted to know what we do back there. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> well, that's where we talk about you. Yeah, oh my gosh, I bet. <laughs> we talk about all passengers. I can only imagine. We eat and, oh uh, my you know, gosh. Rebecca just... Roth, thank you so much for, for doing this because it shines such a huge light. And by the way, what happened to the planes? Uh, where did they actually end up? Uh, that is in the books. There are so many things we didn't cover today that are so <laughs> mind-blowing, like some of the people on the planes that knew technology secrets i mean all kinds of things just get the books because it explains it in so much more detail than i can express here rebecca roth go to rate read roth read roth r-o-t-h.com get her show get these books because it's mind-blowing and thank you so much rebecca for doing this you're so welcome thank you and hearts go out to all of the victims families in this that were truly robbed of their lives that day Uh, What a horrific thing to have happen. Everybody be faithful, be fearless. See you back here Monday.